0: This is episode number 343 with Dr. Michael Greger. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best selling author of Mastering Your Meat Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thoughts leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation, so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Beautiful. This episode is brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, also known as IIN. I studied at IIN in 2011, and it honestly changed my life. No joke. Not only did it give me the tools that I was desiring to reclaim my health after experiencing severe burnout and ending up in hospital, which you can read all about in my first book, Mastering Your Mean Girl, but it set me on my career path that I'm on now. It also lit a fire in my belly for helping others and being of service. I went from an aspiring blogger to health coach to speaker, best-selling author and podcaster with a thriving seven-figure global business. And guess what? It all started with IIM. It paved the way for me, which is why I'm such an advocate for their program and why I'm one of their top ambassadors. And because I'm one of their top ambassadors, I get to offer you a special discount of up to $2,150 off your tuition. How cool is that? So whether you wanna do this course for yourself so that you can arm yourself with all the knowledge that you need for you and your family to really thrive, Or whether you're a yoga teacher, a personal trainer, a health writer, and you want to add another tool to your toolkit, or whether you want an entirely new career as a certified holistic health coach, IIN is for you. To claim your $2,150 off your tuition, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash IIN right now. A founding member and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, Dr. Michael Greger is a physician, New York Times bestselling author, and internationally recognized speaker on nutrition, food safety, and public health issues. He has lectured at the Conference of World Affairs, testified before Congress, and was invited as an expert witness in the defense of Oprah Winfrey in the infamous meat defamation trial. In 2017, he was honoured with the ACLM Lifestyle Medicine Trailblazer Award. He was a graduate of Cornell University School of Agriculture and Tufts University School of Medicine. He has videos on more than 2,000 health topics freely available at nutritionfacts.org with new videos and articles uploaded every day. All the proceeds he receives from his books, DVDs and speaking engagements is all donated to charities. And in today's episode, we chat about his passion for zoonotic diseases and why the inhumane treatment of animals is at the root problem of historical virus outbreaks. How COVID-19 is different from the flu and why it has impacted entire countries in such a polarizing way. Why staying outside is safer than social distancing inside, the true flaws of the current testing, and why the worldwide cases of COVID-19 just keep increasing, the possibility of herd immunity and how long it will take for us to achieve it, all you need to know about the COVID-19 vaccine's current development and future safety, how to prevent getting COVID-19, why effective disease prevention actually starts on your plate, plus so much more. This is such an important and timely episode that everyone needs to listen to. This is Dr. Michael Greger's second time on the podcast and I've brought him back because he is an expert on everything that is going on in the world right now. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at com forward slash 343. But before we dive into this incredibly important conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it is a five-star review from Hilary Clare titled Inspiring Podcast. And Hillary says, this is one of my go-to podcasts each week. Melissa has amazing guests and she is incredible at empowering her listeners to make a healthier life for themselves. Thank you so much, Hillary, for that beautiful review. I'm so grateful. And that is definitely one of my missions is to make everyone feel empowered to make healthier, happier choices for themselves. And as a little thank you gift to anyone who leaves me a review, I want to send you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. All you have to do is send a screenshot of your review to hello at Melissa Ambrosini and I'll send that over to you. And if you want to get my Bursting with Love guided meditation, all you have to do is leave a review on Amazon for Mastering Your Mean Girl or Open Wide or both and send me a screenshot. And now without further ado, let's bring on the one and only Dr. Michael Greger. Michael, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you back on the show again. Your first episode that we did together was very, very popular. You are very well known for your books, How Not to Die and How Not to Diet, and also nutritionfacts.org. But one thing that I had no idea about you was that your original passion was in zoonotic diseases. And in 2006, you released a book called Bird Flu, a virus of our own hatching. So can you explain how this all happened for you and how you were able to so quickly release your latest book, How to Survive a Pandemic? So take us back and how did this all happen for you? And why were you so fascinated on this topic?
1: The first half of my professional life was devoted to emerging infectious diseases. Over the last few decades, hundreds of pathogens have emerged at a rate unheard of in human history. I said, wait a second, emerged from where? Mostly from animals. So most of my postgraduate medical work was done at a public health hospital. This was before we had this new class of HIV drugs before the protease inhibitor. So there's very little we can do for people. And so there's an AIDS floor where people were dying with all sorts of horrible exotic diseases. And I just kept thinking to myself, you know, when I was growing up, there's no such thing as HIV AIDS. and So where did it come from? And it turns out that HIV... Um, has been blamed on the butchering of primates and the bushmeat trade in Africa, just like, you know, mad cow disease was because we turned cows into carnivores and cannibals. and SARS and COVID-19, been traced back to the exotic wild animal trade. You know, but our last pandemic, swine flu in 2009, arose not from some backwater wet market in Asia, but was largely made in the USA on industrial pig operations in the United States. Now, thankfully, swine flu only killed about a half million people, but the next time we might not be so lucky.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what's the difference between the flu and COVID-19?
1: Oh, well, they're caused by different viruses. But What they share in common is that one can be infectious before showing symptoms. So days after becoming unknowingly infected, you can feel perfectly fine, look perfectly fine, but, but be exhaling virus with every breath. That's why these physical distancing measures are so important, because without sufficient mass testing, you don't know who's infected and who's not. And so you just have to try to keep everybody apart from everyone else.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So toward the beginning of this pandemic, there was those images of lines of trucks that were taking away the deceased, like Thousands and thousands of people dying each day, as well as hospitals running out of respiratory ventilators. So what was happening there to say my state, which is Queensland, Australia, where we have had just over a thousand cases and six lives lost, and over the last twenty-four hours, only one new case. So how can there be such a huge difference? Yeah,
1: it's really quite extraordinary. So for example, here in the States, we're having a thousand people die nearly every day, we're getting about 2,000 new cases an hour. And so if you look around the world, different countries did different things to both prepare and to execute against this virus. And the countries that really had the best response, like Singapore or South Korea, had had recent forays with deadly coronaviruses like SARS and MERS. And so they Put the public health infrastructure in place to be ready to deal with the pandemic when it came. I mean, it's really not rocket science. I mean, we just have to, I mean, we know how this, virus, a respiratory virus. Although this is a novel coronavirus, we've never seen this particular virus before, we know all about respiratory viruses like the flu and the common cold. We know how to prevent infection. And so most importantly, you keep people apart from one another, but that's difficult for But, you know, politically, that's very difficult because obviously the business community can be devastated by those kind of shutdown orders. But, you know, it's important to realize that the sooner we get this virus under control, the sooner we'll be able to get back to normal.
0: Mm. So how does it spread? Because is it safer being in a restaurant, say, with space between the tables and the chairs or... Is it safer for me to go to my farmer's market on a Sunday and be in a line behind someone? Like, how can we, you know, protect ourselves?
1: You want to be outside. The riskiest contacts, the riskiest situation is indoors, crowded, confined spaces with poor ventilation. So you want to avoid that at all costs. And that's what you'll see with indoor dining, with bars, with nightclubs. And in fact, there's these really remarkable outbreak maps where, you know, they have a a restaurant seating chart and you can see the index case sitting at a table and you can tell which way the ventilation is going because everybody on this side of the room got infected and everybody on this side of the room, even at the exact same table right next door, didn't. And that's because the vent of the air was just coming in one side and going out the other side. You can look at these maps and know exactly the airflow in the room. These are tiny respiratory droplets that are expelled during normal conversational speech, even just breathing that kind of float in the air. And so the smallest minutest of breezes will just drift that virus away. That's why being outdoors, is one of the lowest risk, even if you don't have sufficient distance. But uh, yeah, crowded, confined indoor spaces, particularly for extended duration for more than 15 minutes, that's really what we want to try to avoid, especially if you have underlying conditions or elderly or at otherwise a high risk for a severe course.
0: hmm okay. So yeah, keeping that distance and outside if possible.
1: Absolutely.
0: hmm So how accurate is the testing?
1: Testing is getting better. The problem is that we get to have widespread rapid testing. So I'm not sure how how they're, I presume they're doing better in Australia, but here in the States, it may may take a week for people to get their test results back. And in that time, now, what you're supposed to do when you get a test is you're supposed to isolate yourself, quarantine yourself until you get the test back. But you can imagine people were like, I don't even know if I'm positive. I'm not going to like lock myself up. And then in a week, they're going to be like, no, you're negative. I'm like, just, oh, well, I've just sat inside all week for nothing. So you can see that. So and that's what people are doing is they're not quarantining themselves. And then they find out seven days later, they're positive. Oh, well, they've just been infecting all the people they care about for the last seven days. And so... Who, I mean, so I mean, that, you know, it's, it's, it, it kind of undermines the whole point of testing. The whole point of testing is when we want to find who's infected and we want to kind of isolate them away from the community. And so that's why, I mean, ideally, if we had, you know, cheap, rapid testing, if we could test everybody every day with an at home test, you know, I mean, then we can, you know, even if it's not a very accurate test, if we can pick pick up enough people and they're like, oh, should I go to work today? Well, let's find out in 15 minutes. Put a little paper strip in your mouth and you find out, oh, wow, I'm, you know, I have a positive test, which may or may not mean I'm positive, but I should go get a better test. Whereas if it's negative, then you're like, okay, maybe that's the day you can go into work. That kind of innovation would really go a long way towards stamping out the, the pandemic.
0: Yeah, exactly. My brother is currently in two weeks hotel quarantine. So he flew back from Italy and is now in Australia. And he's one week in, he's got another week to go. And, you know, he's in a hotel room. There's no window, there's no balcony. It's a lot. Like it's, it is a lot. And I really feel for him. And he, had a, you know, more challenging day yesterday and I was coaching him through it. And I'm like, you know, you've only got one more week to go. You're doing really well. But, you know, I said to him, I was like, why do they not just as soon as everyone gets off the airplane? Like, why did they not just test you all there? And then you go, okay, well, you're positive. You've got to go. You're okay, You don't have to go. And then they wouldn't have to do these two weeks in the hotel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, if he's a week out, there's probably a good chance that he's he's in the clear. Most people start showing symptoms by the fifth day. By the 10th day of no symptoms, you're like two standard deviations out. So you're like nearly 98% likely to not be infected. And so, yeah, that's good news. But yeah, it's it's tough to do. Although on the other side of it, when he's finally out, he'll be glad that people are quarantined to come into the country so there'll be so there's that many fewer cases. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, some some societies are more willing to do that kind of self sacrifice for the health of their communities. Whereas you know, some countries, some areas of countries, are. if they're not willing to do that, then you can imagine how, you know, this. there's just unbridled transmission. And yeah, and a lot of people are going to suffer because of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. How long do you think it will take for us to reach herd immunity? And is that even possible?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully, I mean, the ideal way, but just to give a sense, uh, the only way pandemics are stopped is through what's called herd immunity, and that's having a critical portion of the populace immune To the virus, an infection can only burn through a population if there are enough susceptible individuals for the viral sparks to jump from one person to the next. Now, immune individuals, people who can't get or spread the virus, act as like fire breaks or like you know control rods in a nuclear reactor to to break the chains of transmission. Now, ideally, this is accomplished through mass vaccination. Vaccines are a way to kind of use the virus to fight the virus, kind of fight fire with fire. By generating the benefits of infection immunity without dealing with the downsides, which is you know disease and death. So now, without a vaccine, then unfortunately herd immunity is just achieved the hard way through mass infection. But even if that's the case, if we're not able to get a safe, effective vaccine, herd immunity may be achieved uh, by 50, 60, 70 percent of the population infected, in which case there's still 30, 40 percent chance, even at the end of this, with no vaccine, the pandemic will end and you will have not been infected at all. That's where we want to end up. We want to end up in that slice that never had to go through it because, you know, we're realizing there are lingering effects. So you say, oh, wait a second, I'm young, I'm healthy, I might as well just get it, get it over with. Well, you should realize there are some, maybe some long-term effects, cognitive effects, uh, lung scarring, impaired uh, pulmonary function. So ideally, we really want to try to not get infected in the first place.
0: Mm, that's a really good point because I've heard a few people say that. Well, we may as well just get it. But yeah, that's a really good point. So thanks for bringing that up. Now, obviously the biggest topic right now is vaccination. So correct me if I'm wrong, but what we know right now is that natural immunity for COVID-19 only lasts four to six weeks. So what would be the point of vaccinating if immunity is so brief?
1: Yeah, we're not sure. So, what you're talking about are some of the antibody results. There, are, we have multiple levels of immunity within our body that are generated by contact with an infection. One, we produce these antibodies, and we'd like to th- we'd like to have these antibodies last for a long time. But unfortunately, we're finding, ah, yeah, maybe a month or two down the road, the the antibody levels seem to be declining. But we have a second line of defense, and that's our so-called T-cells. And so we have memory T-cells that retain a memory of the virus and are able to attack virus infected cells and prevent further spread. And so we have some recent data on, well, what's happening to people's memory T-cell responses. That seems to be lasting longer when we saw actually a similar scenario with SARS, where we saw a similar dip in antibody response and made us really worried about getting any kind of lasting immunity. But people's T cell responses seem to be more robust and long lasting. We're seeing a similar situation with this coronavirus. And so we are not, we have yet to see really validated cases of reinfection. And so look, we've we're seven months out now. I mean, if people really were only getting immunity for a few months, you we'd think by now we'd have lots of people getting reinfected at this point, and we're not seeing that. And so at least we have the sense we're gonna get a few months of immunity for the two common cold coronaviruses that we know about, average immunity lasts about 54 weeks. So That's about a year. So yes, it's possible that, you know, this isn't going to be like the chicken pox or something where you get it once and then, you know, or you get a vaccination and your whole life, you're set 50 years down the road, you still have immunity to it. It may be more like influenza, where you have this rapidly mutating virus. And every year, the reason we have to get a new fla- flu shot is because the influenza virus changes a little bit and trying to evade our immune system. And so, yeah, we may have to you know, get a flu shot and a coronavirus shot every year, but it's better than dealing with uh, the ravages of the pandemic.
0: hmm right. And if a normal vaccine takes many years to be released, what are the chances of a COVID 19 vaccine being rushed to market? Like, and it being safe and tested and, and efficient?
1: Yeah, you know, not just years. I mean, over a decade, the average vaccine time to market over 10 years with a 94% failure rate. But what we have now is we have 100 different vaccines in the pipeline. And so even if there's a 94% failure rate, we are we would expect a few to make it through this process. And so there's been a number of ways in which we've been able to kind of accelerate the timeline by which we're making this virus without without skipping safety protocols. So the ways we can so the way we can shorten the duration this takes without a compromising safety is we can start production of the of the vaccine before we even get the results of whether it's good or not, See, normally, the reason it takes so long to get a vaccine, you want to wait to make sure it's safe and effective before spending all the money actually producing the vaccine. But by the time, but it takes a long time, because you're making literally millions of doses. And so what companies have done is they've gamble, they've started to gamble, and it's, a lot of this is with, it's not so much of a gamble because they're getting government help. they're saying, well, The preliminary results look good. We don't have absolute data yet, so we certainly couldn't release this vaccine. But the indicators look good so far. We're going to assume it's eventually going to be approved, and we're just going to start ramping up production. And so right now, millions of doses of vaccine are being made, and it's completely possible they'll all have to go in the trash. Well, I'll just have to throw them away because it turns out, oh, it's actually not effective after all. Oh, actually, it's not safe after all. But with all eyes of the scientific community scrutinizing the safety data coming out of these trials and the demands on transparency from big pharma I think we can be confident that any virus that does, that is produced aside from Putin's vaccine, we can have a little, we, where we just don't have the data, we don't have the transparency. But certainly I would expect in, 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 in the Western world, there would just be enough critical eyes on this process to make sure sufficient efficacy and safety.
0: Yeah, I feel like more and more people are waking up becoming more conscious they want to know that it is going to be safe before they do it.
1: And, and that I mean, that's the way we should all be, right? With anything going into our body, whether it's a drug, an injection, a food, even, you know, the stuff that we put on our bodies can have effects in terms of topical things like sunscreens, etc. And so absolutely right i mean we 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 it's good that we're demanding fully informed consent but i mean this is the kind of thing where you know uh, we it's it's hard to imagine a company getting away without you know whistleblowers you know talking about all the all the bodies in the you know buried in the back just because all eyes are on this this process
0: yes all eyes are on it everyone is watching and waiting
1: Yeah, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I have to interrupt this conversation to tell you about one of today's podcast sponsors, Blue Blocks, the only blue light glasses backed by science. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I love my blue blocking glasses and I wear them every day because they help alleviate digital eye strain keep your hormones balanced, and help you get a deeper, more restorative sleep. They are made in Australia, which means they are very high quality, and all their glasses come in readers, prescription, and non-prescription. And you can even send in your own frames and have them add their lens technology to your frames. And for every pair purchased, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gift them to someone in need in the developing countries. How awesome is that? So to get 15% off, head to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and enter the code MELISSA at the checkout. Now let's get back to this conversation. So outside of washing our hands and wearing masks, how can we prevent, and obviously being outside and putting some distance between us, like how else can we prevent getting COVID-19.
1: Well, man, the best way to survive a pandemic is to prevent a pandemic in the first place. I mean, that's why I spend the bulk of the book really tracing the origins of the COVID coronavirus and finding out, you know, what we can do to prevent even greater infectious disease threats in the future. But, uh, yeah, yeah, as you said, distance, distance, distance. That's really the most important thing for the current coronavirus. My concern about masks is it's going to give people a false sense of security and lull them into, you know, being inside enclosed spaces, close to people, thinking they're, they're protected. It's better than nothing, but mask or no mask, we sh- really should be avoiding those kind of high-risk situations.
0: Right. Someone said to me that if you do have to fly at the moment, one of the things that you can do is turn the vents so they're not blowing on you or you want them blowing on you or something like that.
1: No, you want them blowing on you. Now that's, yeah, blow them on your face. You want them blowing on you? Yeah, because they're HEPA filtered. Uh, yeah, So uh, so, yeah. I mean, in fact, so of all indoor confined crowded spaces, airplanes are probably the safest. And that's because the entire plane, they, they, they replace the the air through these HEPA filters. And so, the the air that's blowing out of those little nozzles, that's clean air. And so, you want that in your face. So, when someone walks down the aisle breathing virus, it's not going to hit you in the face because there's this breeze that's, you know, blowing it away. It's not very comfortable on a long flight to have the air blasting in your face. But, look, you got a mask on, so your nose doesn't get too cold. That's definitely the way to go.
0: Someone was also telling me there's this little device that you can wear. It's like a necklace and it's got like a little fan and it blows air up onto your face.
1: I have never heard such a thing. sounds adorable.
0: Yeah, and apparently that's meant to help. And I think they're flying off the shelves at the moment because everyone's wanting to have that ventilation.
1: Although it has to be clean ventilation, right? You don't want virus blown in your face, right? (laughs) I mean, so, I mean, that's the nice thing about the airplane is that the air coming out of those should be clean. Now, there have been, there was a famous case of ventilatory breakdown in which the ventilation system went down on a flight. Someone had the flu and some absurd percentage of the population of the plane got it, like 60%. Like most people all came down with the flu. I mean, it just shows that you just do not want to be in a in closed space with poor ventilation. For But that was this rare case where for some glitch, mechanical glitch, there was just no ventilation. Someone was coughing, sneezing, and it just went up and down the plane.
0: Wow. Is there anything else that we can do to boost our immune system or any other measures that we can
1: take? Well, you know, it's important to consider the underlying risk factors for severe course of COVID-19. Type 2 diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, and obesity, all of which can be prevented, arrested, or even reversed, controlled with a healthy enough plant-based diet and lifestyle. In fact, it doesn't even, you don't even have to be obese, just having a BMI of 28 puts you at nearly six times the odds of a severe course of COVID-19. Here in the States, the average BMI is over 29. So even being skinnier than the average American, you may have so much excess body fat, puts you at nearly six times the risk. And so look, this is the time to take care of ourselves, right? If you ever wanted to start an exercise program, clean out the cupboards, start a meditation practice, this is the time to get sufficient sleep, Reduce stress, stay connected, albeit remotely, with friends and family, start becoming active and start eating a healthy diet. You know, for many of us, you know, all of a sudden they're not surrounded by so much junk. They're not going out to eat. They have more control over their food environment. They're not in an office where there's donuts every day and birthday cupcakes and, you know, I mean, candy on people's desks. You know, this is the time. This is your environment. If you're, for most of us, you're getting food delivered to your house. And so you can really. Surround yourself with healthy food. And if if all you have is an apple in the house, you're gonna get hungry enough, you'll eat the apple. Because if there's no junk in the house, there's no temptation. And so, yeah, yeah. Like your brother. Oh my god, he could have he could be super healthy for two weeks if there's nothing in the hotel except healthy food.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's not very healthy. It's not very good food.
1: Well, but that's his show. But well, you gotta make sure you well, can't you slip some under the doors. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. So my my mom has been dropping food to him, homemade food, which is amazing. And I I organized some organic juices and smoothies, some cold-pressed juices and smoothies to be delivered to him and yeah, just to lift his spirits and it's nice, you know, for him having a knock on the door once a day just brings him so much joy. So yeah, we will definitely keep doing that, but I have seen what they offer in the hotel quarantine, and it is definitely not healthy, definitely not
1: oh right and to, and so it's not just you know for future chronic disease risks, but right now, fighting off the virus it's important to start you know getting this is the time to start uh, you know ingraining those healthy habits into your life
0: absolutely I feel like it is a giant reset for so many people. so many people are learning to cook for the first time, you know like you said they're getting these boxes of fruit and vegetables delivered to their house. We were doing that for ages, for many months. And now we're able to go to our market. So I have been going to the Sunday farmer's market and topping up on all of my produce there. But for so many people, they're forced to learn how to cook and to get healthier and start exercising and meditating. And they're sleeping better because they're not going out drinking and going out to dinners and parties and things like that. So It's been an amazing opportunity for people to reset and get clear on what they want to achieve in their life and how they want to feel.
1: I think that's a perfect message to get out there. I mean, I think it's too often it can go the other way. People are so stressed out, they're so lonely, and they're just, you know, eating crap. But you must realize that, right, this is this is particularly important now. This is not like, well, yeah, in 20 years I'm going to have a heart attack. No, right now we need to be taking care of ourselves because if we do get sick, we need to have, we need to be able to survive it, to live those 10 years before you have a heart attack.
0: Mm, yes, absolutely. Now is a perfect opportunity. And I said that to my brother too. I said, use this time to sleep, to exercise, do yoga, to dial back in your sleep. He has a tendency to kind of, you know, push it to the 11.30, 12 o'clock mark. So I was like, use this opportunity to recalibrate everything and sleep and rest and get all of your healthy habits back on track. And he was like, Yes, great idea good for you <laughs> so i would love to hear now what else can we incorporate into our life is there anything else like are you a massive fan of meditation for Really boosting our immune system and calming our nervous system.
1: Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, this whole boosting the immune system, you know, it's important to recognize that, yes, while there are amazing studies that show, for example, simple foods can boost our immune function, like randomized, double blind, placebo controlled trials showing that. Eating broccoli sprouts, for example, can reduce viral loads for influenza, decrease virus-induced inflammation, and boost our antiviral natural killer cell activity, all from just eating broccoli, but this isn't the flu. Unlike... Other common viruses, coronaviruses, have not been shown to cause more severe disease in immunocompromised individuals. And you say, well, how could that be? It's because our own immune response appears to be the main driver of lung tissue damage during infection. Starting around the second week of symptoms, the virus can trigger what's called a cytokine storm, which is like a like an autoimmune reaction where your body overreacts and in a Attacking coronavirus, your lungs get caught in the crossfire, and then burning down the village in order to save it, we may not survive the process. So that's why I'm certainly in support of general common sense measures to stay healthy during the crisis. I wouldn't go out of the way to take supplements or eat specific foods to boost elements of your immune system until we know more about this virus.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Now, are you ready?
1: Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) What is one thing that we can do today for our health?
1: Oh, my God. Well, the good news is we have tremendous power. Over our health, destiny, and longevity, the vast majority of premature death and disability is preventable with a plant-based diet and other healthy lifestyle behaviors. So, eating healthy—number one thing we can do. In fact, according to the Global Burden of Disease study, the largest study of disease risk factors in history, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the number one cause of death in these in the in the world today is a poor diet. So, it's, uh, it's something we have control over. And so, yeah, that's the number one thing we can do: is start eating.
0: Yes, I love it. Okay, what is one thing that we can do today for more wealth? So, more abundance in all areas of our life?
1: More abundance? Well, we cannot, we can stop spending money on crap, right? Actually, some of the healthiest foods are actually some of the cheapest foods, like dried beans and purple cabbage and apples. And I mean, you know, so it's actually the the processed foods, certainly by the pound, are actually really quite expensive and a waste of money. And with the externalities being, your health is impaired as well. And so I encourage people to learn how to cook beans and healthy, whole-intact grains, and the cheapest way of eating may also be the healthiest way of eating.
0: Absolutely. And when you go to the farmer's markets, often if you go toward the end of the day when they're closing, they drop their prices, half price.
1: Yeah. They don't want to take stuff back. Absolutely. That's a great tip.
0: They don't. Yeah. So often going at the end of the day and you'll get all of this stuff half price and it's chemical free or organic. So that's another little tip that you guys can take away.
1: Yeah, and sometimes community supported agriculture where they people can you can get a box of produce dropped off at your door or at a local location and uh, support your local farmers and some of the freshest wonderful stuff. And sometimes you never even know what you're going to get. So all of a sudden you'll be like, "Oh, what am I going to do with tomatillos?" And you learn about all sorts of cool things you can do with tomatillos. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it expands your repertoire. And you got to get that diversity in your diet too. It's super important. Okay, last rapid fire. What is one thing that we can do today for more love in our life?
1: Oh my God, we can be kind to one another. This is, people, I don't know how things are. It sounds like things are much much better in Australia, but here, people's, it's like road rage everywhere. Not even on the road. There's, there's grocery store rage and there's, you know, drugstore rage and people just have such a short fuse. And I think this is the time to really give people the benefit of the doubt. I mean, You have no idea, you know, when someone does something rude to you, you know, have no idea what they've been going through. Maybe they just lost a loved one. This is a really, maybe they just lost their job. You know, this is the time to be extra special, nice to everybody around you, because this is just, this is a tough time for everyone. So just bend over backwards to be kind, I think. Is the way to is the is the way to go really at all times and now uh, particularly so?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It goes such a long way. Those random tiny acts of kindness, like smiling at someone as you are in the grocery store or whatever, it just they go such a long way.
1: Right. As the problem with the masks is it's hard to see people smile, and so you go around and everyone just looks kind of like a you know stormtrooper, and so we we're lacking some of those some of those social cues that just you know that you, you you that get a sense that you don't know are they scowling at me Are they you know i mean and and they may be smiling at you, you know and so that's why again we should just always kind of jump to the conclusion that oh they're probably just everything's probably fine it's just ugh, you know this is a, it's a tough time for
0: yeah and you can still smile with your eyes that's right yeah
1: you draw like a big smiley face on your mask
0: exactly that's a great idea i love that
1: (laughs) as long as it doesn't look like the joker or something yeah
0: yes i'm sure you could probably buy some masks like that that already have a big cheesy grin on there
1: uh it's probably true
0: (laughs) so this has been so helpful and incredibly informative is there anything else that you want to share any Last parting words of wisdom or anything else that you feel we need to know about this pandemic?
1: Well, you know, I think it's important to recognize, I mean, I think this is, I want to make sure that we take advantage of this time of increased interest on pandemic disease to make sure that something even worse doesn't happen in the future, so this is you know uh covid nineteen may be kind of the dry run we needed the the fire drill to wake us out of our complacency and to reform the food system before it's too late you know the as devastating as covid nineteen has been the you know it just may be kind of a dress rehearsal for an even greater threat waiting in the wings of chickens. According to the U.S. CDC, the leading candidate for the next pandemic, after COVID-19 is a bird flu virus by the name of H7N9, which is 100 times deadlier than COVID-19. Instead of one in 250 cases dying, it's 40% of the people that have become infected with H7N9 have died. You know, the last time a bird flu virus jumped species and triggered a pandemic, it caused the deadliest plague in history. The 1918 flu pandemic killed 50 million people. And so, look, that had a 2% mortality rate. I mean, what if we had a pandemic infecting billions where death is closer to a you know flip of a corner But the good news is there's something we can do about it. Just as, you know, shutting down these live animal markets and the exotic animal trade may go a long way towards preventing the next coronavirus pandemic, reforming the way we raise domestic animals for food may help forestall the next killer flu. Because when we crowd, you know, tens of thousands of animals into these cramped, filthy football field-sized sheds to lie, you know, beak to beak or snout to snout atop their own waste. It's just a breeding ground for disease. The sheer numbers of animals, the overcrowding, the stress crippling their immune systems, the the lack of fresh air, the lack of sunlight, the the ammonia from the decomposing waste burning their lungs. Put all these factors together. Really, have kind of a perfect storm environment for the emergence and spread of these so-called super strains of influenza. And, you know, the bottom line... Is that, you know, we shouldn't be risking the lives of millions of people for the sake of cheaper chicken.
0: Mm, Totally. This is why it is so important. And we can do something about it today. You can stop buying factory farmed animal products. Like if you are cutting back on your animal products, is the first step. Second step is if you are going to purchase them, please make sure they are from an ethical, sustainable, raised, you know, they're getting grass finished, free range, you know, those sorts of things. It's really important and something that we can all do right now.
1: Yeah, studies show that even simple measures like providing straw bedding to pigs so they don't have the immunosuppressive stress of lying on bare concrete their whole lives has shown to decrease swine flu transmission rates, right? And so, you know, the the animals could use a little social distancing themselves. We should give these animals a little more breathing room. Yeah, the way we raise animals has global health public implications given the rise, the emergence of swine flu and uh, bird flu strains, some of which are even worse than COVID-19.
0: And it makes sense. Like if you visualize chickens all jammed packed into a football-sized cage, with infections and things like that. Like, do you really want to be eating that? Like, really? Do you really want to be eating that? Like, that does not sound enticing at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like being in an elevator with 5,000 people and someone sneezes. I mean, it's just, I mean, this is just, this is how diseases spread. And so, you know, the industry has, you know, pumped the animals full of antibiotics just to, these, to compensate for the stressful unhygienic conditions. And so, you know, they have to make these decisions in terms of what's better for their bottom line. But they don't realize you know, there are public health implications for what they do. It's not just their own money that's at stake, but, I mean, it could birth a virus. It could go on to kill millions of people. That's why we need to put regulations in place, really move away from animal agriculture altogether.
0: Exactly. And remember, you vote with your dollar. Every time you are handing over money, you are saying, I believe in this. I believe in this company. I believe in this product. And we really do need to be conscious consumers because that's how we're going to make a difference.
1: Sounds good to me. Sign me up.
0: (laughs) This has been so great. So informative. I love chatting with you you are helping so many people. The work you're doing is incredible. And your latest book is incredible. And you're serving and helping so many people. So I want to know how I and the listeners can serve you today. How can we give back to you today?
1: Well, you know, all the proceeds I receive from my all the sales of my books are all go to directly to charity. I just want everyone to have access to this life saving information. But if you support the work that I'm doing, you can go to nutritionfacts.org, which is a nonprofit charity itself, and you can sign up, make a donation, and spread the word to ensure that all the health benefits aren't just selfishly kept to yourself and your family, but you help make a healthier community as well.
0: Yeah, and your books are incredible. How Not to Die and How Not to Diet were life-changing books for my husband and I, and I highly recommend them to everyone. So thank you so much for your work. It's been a pleasure having you back on the show again, and thank you for everything that you're doing and spreading the message of health and wellness.
1: Looking very much forward to coming back after my next book.
0: Thank you. Yes, you're more than welcome anytime.
1: Sounds great. Keep up the good work.
0: Thank you, Michael. Take care. I got so much out of today's episode and I really want to encourage you all to read all of his books because they are all so informative and life-changing. If you did get a lot out of today's episode, like I did, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. Don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you get from each show. So please come and share them with me. And for everything that Dr. Michael and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at MelissaAmbrosini.com forward slash 343. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, I think everyone could, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this information in their ears. And until next time, stay well, stay safe, stay happy and healthy. And don't forget that love is sexy. Healthy is liberating and wealthy isn't
1: a dirty word.